is up. It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Eugene of the band Gogol Bordello over Zoom video. Eugene talks about being born and raised outside of Kiev in the Ukraine and how he got into music comes from a household of music lovers. His dad was way into different kinds of metal and rock music. His uncle was a painter and also a drummer. And uh, Eugene started his musical journey out on the drums. And he talks about how he discovered a hi-hat at his uncle's house. And he was able to complete his drum set uh, by borrowing, in quotes, some gear from his school that they uh, weren't using. So... He talks about starting off on drums, eventually started to play guitar and write songs. Where Eugene grew up, they didn't really have venues for the kids to play or uh, different clubs that you could go see live music at. So he talks about where they kind of got together and were able to play and meet other kids that were into the same type of music. He talks about different bands he was in while living in Ukraine, moving to the United States. He talks about eventually starting Gogol Bordello. We talk about some of the early experiences uh, they had as a band and all about the new album, which is called Solidarity, which is the first Gogol Bordello record that Eugene has wrote on the electric guitar. He was always uh, writing on electric guitar prior to the band starting, and that's when he started to write on acoustic. But this new album was written completely on the electric guitar. So he talks about that as well. You can watch our interview with Eugene on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Gogol Bordello. Cool. Well, uh, I'm Adam, and this podcast is about you and uh, your journey in music, oh. and we'll talk about the the new album as well. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm excited. So uh, first off, talk to me about where you were born and raised. I know you've moved around quite a bit, like throughout your life, right? Um, yes, I did, but there are just major points that are, you know, it's, it's not so scattered it's actually pretty uh the route is kind of very distinct okay i was born and raised in kiev in ukraine and mm -hmm. uh you know 16 years of age you know a journey has begun and uh within one year i was in on a in a in, a, in the united states and first in uh first in uh after a short stay in new york you know in vermont for mm -hmm six almost seven years and then i made my way back to new york yeah. wow okay so you were there uh in in kiev till you're 16 you said and then you traveled I was over born and raised in ukraine yes in kiev okay yeah in capital and what about music were you um born into like a musical household at all or like how did you get in involved yes. in music? yeah i mean if you um kind of you know take a little deeper look at on Ukrainian culture, you'll find it's kind of a very musical, uh, mm -hmm. a very musical people. And, and on the top of being folklorically musical and uh, music being kind of like the fabric of 
life and every every celebration you know it was also a very rock and roll time when i was coming up and uh, so it took a lot from my father and his brother who was also a painter and uh, is a painter and a musician and uh, you know and and everyone else around like their friends were just heavily on uh on one musical trip or another you know i'm mm -hmm. talking about metal and you know all the usual uh you know rock suspects so you know ginger baker and you know uh jeff back mm -hmm. uh kind of more uh artistically approaching rock music kind of people you know jeff back you know just recently passed away mm -hmm. yeah. actually i just saw him right before he uh oh my gosh amazing wow. backstage at, the, at his concert yeah so you know but that was um that was kind of like um I have to say that it wasn't like that kind of musical engagement wasn't typical for Ukraine on that level of rock and roll, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that maybe more with my generation, it became more of, a, you know, more kids took to it, especially to punk rock, you know. That was our music. I mean, you know, I mean, metal is the gateway uh -huh. sometimes. And uh, after that, you quickly discover the next level music, and that is usually something punk rock inspired, you know, sure. whether it's hardcore or post punk or art core or whatever it is, you know, it's or or uh, you know, techno and psychedelic trance. It's usually kind of starts all of that, usually is preceded by metal, <laughs> right. <laughs> It's interesting how yeah, it kind of comes back to to metal. I remember uh somebody said that um Tommy Lee said that like uh electronic EDM was gonna be like the next punk rock, and he said this was like 2008, and then like it became this, you know, this thing now that just it blew up. It's just so bizarre that that kind of statement was made and it kind of came true. That's perfectly logical. Actually, it blew up in like 92. I mean yeah no I, mean, for I, sure. I went to a rave in montreal in 1992 you know when i was a baby <laughs> <laughs> like, it blew up in 2008 like what like right was like that was that's when it was over five times already and then it that's blew up true in, yeah like, I, that was when it became like main <laughs> mainstream enough where like you know dead mouse is headlining a festival or something like yeah, that i guess <laughs> it's so old it's 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 insane i mean it just shows how uneducated people are really about music <laughs> they don't know anything anymore but <laughs> and yeah uh, i mean there's just so much more to find out it's like you know i mean techno starts in the late 60s and in, in mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's not newer <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> the idea of stripped down beat and uh you know just enhanced by drugs and uh, yeah, you know it's a stripped out it's basically stripped down funk i mean mm -hmm. it's pretty uh in a theorists of music circles and, and it's pretty well known you know right right the yeah, late 70s detroit techno was was uh, massive a, a well well grown uh genre you know yeah no i 100 100 agree i just remember saying that and I'm like, oh, I guess if you're thinking about more of the the now artists that are going to be headlining 
when it's making this kind of new research. Uh, sure, sure. But, but the new artists come and redefine it. That's awesome. But you know, to me, yeah. tech is just as new as Charleston or Fox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, so and it sounds like left Ukraine. We we heard all the proto techno music, you know. Were you yeah. listening to it? Like, were there a lot of like you? You said you got into punk. Was that a a genre that you you know was being played by around uh, where you grew up? Like other people were in punk bands, and was that well, kind of a thing? Yes, as I said, it it, it was a uh, quite the scene was for that was quite minimal. I mean, you're talking about you know, a couple hundred people for a huge city, mm -hmm. of, uh, two and a half million at the time Kiev was. And, uh, but that's kind of like that worldwide. I mean, it's not like in Melbourne, Australia, there was some kind of thousands of people are sure. punk scene. It was just always like a couple dozens of people who uh, drive it and more people coming around from you know all the suburbs and other towns to kind of be part of this um uh, of this living thriving kind of cutting edge music scene mm -hmm. it's pretty much remains to be so but uh the specificness of that time was you know that it was um also coincided with like a lot of i mean punk rock was driven by changes that were just in the air you know mm -hmm. it's, it it's not like we got like you know all these amazing records from the west and like just listen to it as some kind of uh archaic uh, thing that's so happening somewhere over there no it's like as soon as we heard it you know we'd go and make our own version of it and make our own spin on it your band is one of the most talented out there in my opinion i mean just what oh, you guys you. do is in i've seen you a, a couple times live i live in nashville now but when i lived in san diego i i had seen you a, a few times and i was just like yeah. blown away by how how good you all are but um like for you like what was the first instrument you learned how to play what did you play guitar first like was that where you started or how did you start playing when you are 12 or 13 and inside it's all start boiling up and you're a fan <laughs> of um you know of the bands that i mentioned well at that time just like you know uh ronnie james dio and iron mm. man and things sure. like that yeah yeah the first thing most likely you're gonna latch on to is drums oh interesting what's the okay crazy, what's the most <laughs> like, what's the most uh you know impactful way to make noise <laughs> <laughs> sure. drums you know so i started out with on the drums in fact well brother of my of my dad mm -hmm. uh the painter you know who babysat me a lot so you know long hair and you know dirty pants covered with paint you know i was like that was the hang you know <laughs> that's awesome though <laughs> you know, our art studio and uh, you know wow. he had like he had like leftovers of the drums drum set okay you know from 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 when he was like in a peak of that and it was just i saw this hi-hat laying around i was like what is this uh you know when i was like five so like, what is this and he's like ah you'll get around to it you know you'll know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so eventually <clears throat> out of out of those pieces of uh you know snare drum that he had and 
and the high head. Um, we reconstructed the uh, the drum set, you know, and with some pieces I also nicked from uh, from uh, from school. <laughs> I had to, you know, I mean, I was like, I'm not doing anything with this, you know? right? Just sitting there, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, yeah, especially that you know, it wasn't, it was it, you know, rock music was not encouraged. At the time, you know, so, you know, like, I was just like, this stuff is coming with me, you know. <laughs> They're not going to miss it. <laughs> no. And um, so it was drums, of course. Okay. And drums is a, if you, it's a kind of an interesting phenomenon, because if you look in a, in a history of some of the most celebrated front Mm -hmm. and woman you'll see that they were drummers originally right i know it's so fascinating to look at that i'm talking about james brown i'm talking about Iggy pop i'm talking about madonna oh, i didn't know madonna was a drummer yeah wow the list goes on you know there is a that connection with about the physicality and athleticism of playing drums and the front man is just after a while these front men that naturally born front men get get kind of a little bit antsy on the back you know and <laughs> when they get in the front you know i always yeah, find I like, there's I, quite a few the, the list goes on i remember like compiling it for some uh for, for for one reason or another and it was it was like dozens of people you know yeah like i i'm I have a six-year-old and i we got him a drum set like he became interested in music so i'm like here's an instrument that if you know how to play you could pretty much play with anyone right i mean like that the drummer is always the hardest person to find i feel like when i was growing up at least fun is important and <laughs> fun in a larger like uh sense of um of um you know cellular level engagement with the universe you know nothing mm -hmm. really does it like the drums you know yeah he loves i mean we have a one of those like electric kids so it's not just you know annoying the neighbors or whatever but yeah he loves it it's so it's it's just really cool to see just a little kid learning how to play yeah totally yeah um, i believed uh so when would you did you have bands when you're uh in like you know before you're 16 and made it out to vermont yes of course um okay I I started creeping uh, ahead out of the drum set <laughs> shortly <laughs> after, you know, playing it for a couple of years and started writing songs. So my band in Ukraine um, was, uh, we got a drummer basically to, you know, to, 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 uh, to 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 do the drums and i went in the front and they start singing and playing guitar uh it was three sometimes four sometimes five piece band mm -hmm. and i guess the thing that really kind of would define that activity like give it kind of characteristic what it was all about was that it was very improvisational uh driven in the same time as there was loose structure of songs but we were kind of on this trip of like 
you know, birthday party, Nick Cave's, uh, you know, uh, dead band before the Bad Seeds and uh -huh. kind of talking heads, like anything that was spasmatic and didn't really require any virtuosity, but had serious groove and this breakthrough kind of mm -hmm. uh, vibe, you know. And so, so we were fueled by, by that music um, of, of kind of swans and, and sonic youth, you know, and, uh, well, I, I, al I always was like the motor of the energy. Uh, so I always loved GBH and, you know, and, and um, you know, and, um, angelic upstarts and just bands that just had real energy beyond being just cool, like, uh, talking heads, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a lot of that, just very, very kind of creative, um, music that had, uh, uh, had, uh, more of a feeling of playground rather than like, let's literally, let's rehearse this to death and then perform. Uh, okay. It so wasn't like that at all. You got know? it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would you guys play around or was it mainly just kind of a, you know, fun, you get together and kind of improv off each other or was it like you had shows and, and you were kind of part of the scene there? All of that, but okay. I have to say that the chief difference between uh, all of that here and all of that there is that we were not really allowed to perform. I mean, oh. to perform, you, you would have to have some kind of, um, you know, uh, papers from the city and all that kind of thing. I mean, here too, but, but here's a lot easier to get them. Plus there's tons of places like teen centers and, and yeah. bars and clubs and whatever. They're not. So to perform something, it, it would have to, you know, this this band had to have some kind of approval, you know, from they either had to be in, in students of all this university that somehow got this place to perform. For us, it was main main platform for displaying your creativity and your talent was and participation in a scene was passing around cassette tapes with your really? recordings. Yes. Oh, and, wow. show, and showing up at the regular hangs on a particular sidewalks chosen by the cult punk <laughs> <laughs> rockers, you know, and uh, which was actually right there where Maidan was, where in, in the center of the Kiev where all the protests took. Oh and my gosh! Yeah, and every and everything in in the last nine years. Mm -hmm. It's been a, you know, a talk of the world, but right one block away from it, there was used to this, uh, kind of a coffee shop. And that's where we all go, go down and hang out there, you know, and, uh, you know, it was, it was basically a sidewalk of a coffee shop, you know, in, in the center of the city. And that's where the, all the eccentrics gathered, you know, and all their, uh, leather jackets and, you know, green and orange hair and, and whoever what was uh uh championing whatever you know streak of punk rock they were all about and it was a really cool thing because you know there were people who were into metal people who were like into kind of like trying to be this kind of romantic new wave or 
kind of thing, you know, or just people who were, you know, kind of more orthodox punk rockers or just eccentrics of all kinds, poets, artists, you know, and it was there all the time. Like you, mm -hmm. you could just go there any night of the week and uh, it was there. There was some uh, proto kind of skinheads and uh, all kind of things, you know, original skinheads. I'm talking about people. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and hardcore. Um, all of that was very much present there. You know, every, every brand of subculture that you knew here, we had mm. there just maybe slightly less, slightly less in numbers, you know? Sure. And you, it sounds like you didn't have, yeah, like venues that you could go play. You're like, oh, you're going to play this bar and they're this teen center, this thing. Like it, 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 it wasn't as accessible as it is maybe here, you know, where you could just go play. It's or, almost, it was pretty much unaccessible. And uh, I mean, I remember one time, we got this in on in our district of Abalone to which is kind of one of the outskirts of uh, of Kiev. Mm -hmm. We had uh, somebody had a, some kind of personal connection to this guy who had this space that could be used for some kind of communal event, you know. And uh, and it was so bureaucratic that he was like, "Well, in order to have a concert." You have to have a stage and i don't have a stage and i was like well we don't need a stage I mean, <laughs> yeah. let us use the space he's like no you have to have a stage otherwise i can't put it down paper as a concert so we're like all right fuck it we'll build the fucking stage <laughs> well, literally then we got all this plywood and all these things and built the fucking stage and got on it and played the fucking show you know holy shit that, like, that was like 20 people there you know what's the <laughs> but sitting up for a week you know with Ar arm and hammer uh the the event that was uh crucially attended by 20 of your friends and it was <laughs> and, and and recorded and passed it around as a tape that like hey listen we're singing about how uh, you know, springtime is a really terrible time of the year because it just brings more fucking problems with uh, this and with that. And, you know, and uh, just kind of, you know, singing antagonistic uh, punk rock things uh, and passing them around because everything around you on, on, on radio and TV was in this kind of this fake uh fake positivity propaganda march you know mm. so you're just absolutely uh in this you know you're just completely inspired to counterbalance that sure at least with some authenticity of street grind you know yeah well i mean that's that's to go from you know building a stage that you really probably weren't it was even difficult to get the person to say, sure, you can use the space. And then you have to build the own say to like what you guys are doing now. I mean, could you even imagine at that age what you have accomplished, you know, in, in the crowds you've seen in the, in the way in the stages you played on? Hey, man, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was really like building the, the, the backbone for future everything, sure. um, you know. Uh, touring in the States and, and in Europe when we started, you know, with nine, ten, uh, sometimes more <laughs> people in the van. Yeah, you guys have you know, quite sleeping the on top of each other, you know, 
this 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 went on for years mm-hmm. you know so in in that sense what um it's definitely one of my favorite topics in that sense you know underground music and, and punk rock music is kind of a very um it's a beautiful corridor that goes worldwide mm-hmm. you know like i don't know anything about all those bands and all those careers of musicians who never toured and everybody knows their name who yeah tweeted their world. name into uh, into worldwide uh, fame whatever that's just like that's fine that's all what I, that's all what we do yeah and i'm not interested in being that kind of artist right and there's a lot of them yeah especially now i was gonna say yeah now it's quite different yeah I mean, I mean, the- times are always transforming and in some sense it's easier to reach out now mm-hmm. but it also doesn't build any character you know what i mean and um the times are always transforming and they're not going to stay like this now right right this is planet earth <laughs> there is going to be gravity here as it was here thousands years ago and so into thousands years into the future it's not going to be easy and having a character is going to remain to be important it's not going to be not important mm-hmm. so this kind of mentality of easy access to this and this and this and that it's actually undermining your uh it's undermining on a general level people's ability to maneuver effectively through life mm-hmm. you know and um it's something that those values going to go back up oh yeah for They're sure gonna have to go back up because <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they have to. I mean, the the life on the planet is going to remain to be very uh, challenging. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the problems of like that people think sometimes are problems nowadays that are not real problems. Mm-hmm. That's a phase. It's going to get, you know, we've already seen world transform quite several times. Right. In the recent years. You know, it's going to transform again and again and again and again. And it's not going to be getting just progressively more and more easier. So you're going to be doing less touring and less this and less muscle work. No, there always will be need for 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 stamina. And um, so in a way, circling back to the idea of getting real life grind experience you know i'm pretty much considered to be all those things that we've done and had to do um that considered to be unthinkable now mm-hmm. as, as huge benefits to to really uh ensured the kind of ensure your longevity as a, as a group as, uh, I was going to say, yeah, I feel like the bands that have longevity are the ones that have grinded and are the, a touring band that you know you can go to any city and sell X amount of tickets, right? I mean, 
it, before even signing to a major label or this or that, a lot of the a lot of bands, you know, in the '90s, earlier and through the early 2000s, were selling multiple tickets in every market before anyone even cared to say, you know, hey, you know, wh what's this band up to or whatever. You know, what I mean? it was more like developing a band and having these bands. Like Green Day, I guess would be a good example of a band that tore their ass off. Yeah, and had two albums out before they even really broke. Yeah, on Lookout Records. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. And so is so is just about any uh, punk band that became huge. Right, they have that in their back pocket. Most of them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like you guys are obviously the same way. I mean, you've toured so much and. You didn't really get the radio. I mean, I worked in radio for a long time, and that was the first time I heard your band um, was uh, Travel Connection. We were playing the song, and I was like, mm. "What? Like this song is like it blew my mind how cool it was, yeah, thank you, different than anything I had ever heard." Uh, so I'm not gonna say like, "Oh, you know, I knew you guys when the first album came out." Like that was what kind of sparked it for me. I was like, "Shit!" Like these guys are rad. And then I had seen you uh, come. Because I was in San Diego, I mean, you played the Casbah. You played some venue. We, we I went and saw it, and it was insane. Uh, yeah, first, times, but, first times in San Diego, we played Casbah. Yeah. Oh, and then I think you played. You opened up for someone. Oh, maybe it was Primus or something. I remember you guys came through again. Yeah, there was a tour with Primus. Yeah. Okay, and I had seen you another time, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But I do. I I don't remember Bailey Up Tavern. Does that sound familiar? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> it was definitely was a Casbah at least once. Um, but yeah, I mean, like having that under your, like you said, in your back pocket, like you had been touring and doing all these things before probably any sort of major label came around and was like, Hey, yeah, I mean, I major label. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like before interest came to that level of people. Yeah. But that, that, that's pretty classic story i mean uh, those people show up when you already have following that is consistent right and most of the time they show up to uh chime in on what's already been made and uh, <laughs> right i mean it's not a secret i mean yeah there was there, there was a magazine uh, maximum rock and roll and uh you know back back when i uh first got in the states and um i used to read it like you know front to back mm -hmm. so it was like reviews of all kind of uh punk concerts and reviews of records that were coming out and, and sometimes they would write about bands from poland and you know and uh and the punk bands from finland and, and estonia you know bands that i knew you know and bands that i met so i was like wow this is like this is different from like this is how this is what punk rock is all about. Like mm -hmm. you're not gonna find anything like that in Rolling Stone magazine, but right. covering this, and they're not covering some 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 of it for its obscurity, you know, eccentricity sake. It's like I knew these bands, Deserter, EMKA uh, from from Thailand. You know, like they were kicking ass. These are like GBH, GOA, Dead Kennedys level bands just from there. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I, I was reading that magazine and um, a, a lot, and uh, which actually where we first got our first uh, mention to my previous hardcore punk band uh, from Vermont. And, um, you know, 
that 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 kind of um, that that was kind of the core of my my kind of sensibility of 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 things at the time. And they would already publish articles by like uh, Steve Albini, you know, who wrote this whole kind of uh, kind of uh, his own insight about what major labels are all about. Mm -hmm. And how, what, what does the strategies they employ, and uh, what does it exactly mean when somebody gets, uh, when somebody gets uh, signed for a million dollars? See, like that, <laughs> like a breakdown. How? how oh, what, wow! What a rip off it is, and what does it actually mean, and how much more in debt, and how much in debt you're gonna be? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Wow! <laughs> after, after that million dollar contract, so, yeah. So that was pretty educational and very educational. I think people should be reading that now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. And like, I thought that everybody knows this, you know, because all my friends knew this. That's what we right. were reading. We kind of knew what's going on. You know, we would go and see, uh, uh, you know, Lollapalooza show with Ministry and Nick Cave and uh, and Beastie Boys, and then in, in Montreal, and then scoot over and go and see a hardcore show with Shelter and and you know and sick of it all, and <laughs> and and you know and kind of compare the situations that how how differently they are from like you know bands that are just somewhere behind a velvet rope, it, you know what I mean, like. When you have these options of seeing where the realness of music is, you know, you 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 would want to go to. It's like if you went to Lollapalooza early lineups, you know, which were amazing, and to punk and hardcore shows, you would lose any interest in meeting any rock stars that are somehow behind the velvet rope and unaccessible. That right. would literally like evaporate from your uh, interests. Like, why do I need to go and meet these people who are making pretty mediocre music when I see these people right in the front of me who are more charismatic than those guys? Right. Who come in, load in, kick ass, and then you can hang, hang out with them on a parking lot after the show until <laughs> the cows come home. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and you're right. I mean, being in that, uh, having that experience is just such a different thing. I mean, to be able to go see a band and then hang out with them afterward, it's like, oh my gosh, like it just adds like such a level of like, you know, it, it, other than just like you said, seeing some behind a velvet rope and being like, oh, there's so-and-so yeah, hundred never, yards away. never slept well with me, actually. I mean, I, st I still, uh, you, you know, I just, for for me, that kind of approach to music it reminds to be a, a sign of some kind of a, uh, doing music for wrong reasons, you know. Right. You know, mu music has to be. Um, I mean, sometimes it's necessary. Listen, people do need privacy, and I'm not being a. You know, I'm not a. I didn't fall out of the tree yesterday, but but generally, as an aesthetic, I think that bands that keep connection with their uh, appreciators, you know, uh, is, is probably the people who got into music for all the right reasons.
Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know what I mean? And it's usually obvious from the songs that they write, you know. Right, right. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, I do want to talk to you about your new album. I just have a, I just really quickly, I mean, once the band goes and starts, what, what would you say? Like, were there a couple of moments, um, you know, from your early, early days that like stuck out as a kind of like a big, you know, turning point for the band or like kind of a big milestone for you? You know, <clears throat> It's a, this is a kind of like a, one of ongoing questions. <clears throat> when is the day of the band? Everybody kind of, now the band is on a map. Yeah. <laughs> when, when did the make band blew up or like, when did the band made it? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean that like when you made it, just like <laughs> kind of like an early, like, oh my gosh. Cause I, I feel like if you were in a band for 10 years and there was no real movement, that it, you might be like, uh, maybe I should try something else. <laughs> Not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily. Um, something else. Yeah. You may try something else with propelling and making greater music, but it True. But <clears throat> that would be my first instinct. But the, the answer to all of that, I understand exactly what you mean, but the answer to all of that is there was never such a day. You know, like I cannot remember a one single day where mm-hmm. I woke up and I start thinking, oh, okay, now it's here instead of here, you know, because okay. the reality is that it's been like this from from the day one of Google Bordello, you know, it's a very um it's a very gradual grassroots following band. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, any of those kind of like leaps forward mm-hmm. they were kind of smeared through very uh long periods of times and um you know for a lot of people you know we supposedly appeared in 2005 with our you know first record gypsy punks that's a third album of the band right <laughs> actually fourth album there was an ep before that that was kind of uh almost an album um there was for some people there were other kind of the way they discovered the band were through uh through film mm-hmm. in soundtracks or through my acting in the films uh two films and one documentary uh for some people it was some other kind of you know one or another splash of publicity but all those people keep coming, keep discovering band through all those things on the top of the essentially grassroots following that the band already has. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've been already playing to thousands of people every night before we appeared in any of those things in any uh, in, in any of those things I just mentioned. It was like pretty, by the time we're like five years into heavy touring where there was people with word of mouth and back then, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, beginning of, uh, you know, the, the Facebook and and, and um, uh, MySpace and all those kind of things, you know, it was already, the, the following was always pretty solid and we kind of attracted very maniacal 
Porsche heroes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so you know the most of which you know we are still <laughs> in a tight touch with. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of going back to the yeah, original point of being the band that's the touring band that's working and grinding because you could go to any city and sell X amount of tickets because you had been there so many times and you put the work in, right? That's a, there, it's a bit idealized vision of it, you know, but there, there is that, you know, mm -hmm. and it's also, I think the nature of the music that we play is it's in the nature of the music that it's kind of irrelevant to anything like record cycle or uh oh sure you know like uh which day of the week it is i mean sure it's a lot easier to pack you know <laughs> uh sell out the place on friday saturday everybody knows that but mm -hmm. you know we play you know whether it's tuesday monday or wednesday if you're at our show it will feel like friday or saturday right <laughs> yeah you guys definitely yeah you bring know, the energy every time i've ever seen you so it's it's one of those things where, where the, we as a, as a group mastered is kind of conjuring that up you know mm -hmm. you know so yeah uh well i was gonna say like well talking about the new the, the new album like when did you start writing this record and uh was it affected at all like by you know the pandemic happening like like tell me kind of when when you started writing it um yes it's it's kind of affected by everything in in the last years but i wrote it very quickly actually after first post pandemic tour just came oh, okay home, you know and um and um and put all my impressions on last you know last say two years into it you know and uh, the most distinctive factor for this album was that i wrote it with electric guitar i usually write with acoustic guitar which kind of became my main to go to instrument and that's kind of how most of people, you know, who dig Gogol Bordello, they kind of know me as an acoustic guitar. Yeah, I didn't realize that you wrote it with an electric guitar. Wow. Yeah, I mean, in real reality, um, you know, acoustic guitar was my new instrument that I picked up specifically to for to start Gogol Bordello. Really? Yeah, it was. I uh, never saw anything really. Uh, attractive about it up until up until I burned through a whole decade of playing like punk hardcore mm -hmm. and uh experimenting with all kind of industrial uh more hardcore industrial metallic sound and and having a whole number of projects that were very loud and very riff oriented and and they're you know playing it pretty much non-stop you know we practiced a lot you know and it was a way of life you know mm -hmm. and uh touring around new england uh less than Google bordello but yet going playing colleges and you know smaller punk clubs and uh, you know so 
at some point when I was like, all right, I'm definitely doing music. Uh, I'm a lifer and, but I'm kind of, uh, I feel like a new chapter needs to come in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought that with acoustic guitar, it will be a lot more uh, easier to tell the story, which kept accumulating, you know. And uh, I kind of looked at it as a, can I, can I approach, you know, uh, punk rock and hardcore kind of mixture from a point of view of Johnny Cash or, you know, or Nick Cave or something like, um, you know, starting to listen to like Leonard Cohen and, you know, and, and more uh, reflective kind of song- songwriters. Yeah. And that's really the birth of Gogol Bordello. And Shane McGowan, of course, of the Pogues. Like, there would be no Gogol Bordello without the Pogues. Like, I think that's pretty damn clear. But mm-hmm. that was, that band basically gave me archetypal tools for how to take some of the ancient melodies or pieces of these melodies that have been floating around in, in air for hundreds of years, sometimes thousands, and how to give them new life and new energy and, uh, and tell new stories with them. And it felt, once I got on that train, chiefly from listening and analyzing the work of Shane McGowan and, and the Pogues, you know, I kind of, once I got on that train, it, it, uh, it, it kind of, that was the real beginning of Gogol Bordello, you know. Okay. Yeah. And so the, you wrote pretty much everything up until this new album then, just going off of the acoustic guitar. And then what made you decide to go kind of back to, I guess it would be your roots, so to speak, with, with um, yeah. the electric guitar? Um, well, our guitar player, Boris, who's absolutely amazing, um, he got COVID on tour. And oh, uh, wow. he... Um, you know, had to had to uh, get home. Um, so, yeah, to compensate for that, I was basically playing electric and acoustic at the same time. You know, for the rest of the tour, wow. and uh, th- there was a lot of also angst and of the times that we were in, and and and. I just remember just like that whole spirit of playing electric, how it, how it's not, there's really nothing like it. And I just really re- reconnected with it. So it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking about it. I just came home and like, you know, pulled out an amp and plugged in the electric and started laying down all the demos. Uh, and uh, that's, the material was just coming like loud straight out of the gate. Yeah, so consequently, the record, the new record, you know, I was like, I think this material will be a really, this is going to be a great time and a chance to collaborate with, you know, none other but Walter Schreffels, you know, uh, 
our uh, friend and tour buddy from years before, and also the guy who been on so many of my bands that I really, really love, you know, Quicksand and Youth of yeah. the and uh, you know, Warzone. Like, uh, so who continues to constantly bust out some new kind of funk, you know? Like Walter is a very central guy in a New York hardcore scene. And uh, in the same time, he he's always he's always a great songwriter, you know. I mean, he, he wrote a lot of songs for for the Sieve, uh, Gorilla Biscuits. Is de- forgot to mention Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah, definitely. I used to, you know, I used to have a poster of of Gorilla Biscuits, the fold out from the record. You know. Oh yeah, my friend my had wall, that on his wall. wall too. <laughs> That was like years before I ever met Walter, you know, but it's all clicks back together, you know. And I think that it was a really, really uh, great timing for for us to collaborate. You know, we all had time and to 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 contribute to this. And we just kind of actually it was more like a hang. It was, you know, yeah. Finally, I was able to remove myself from very hands on producing of the band um because you know i trusted his sensibilities so much that i was just like kind of got into a back seat and i was like well if walter thinks this mix is done it's done <laughs> oh wow so you had to kind of just give it up like just give it away to him at that point um in a lot of ways in a lot of ways it's uh you know I didn't have to double think and overthink a lot of these kind of decisions because it was, you know, when you yeah. trust somebody and in your you know, body language already kind of says it, says most of it, you know. Uh-huh. So it, it was a really, really fun way to um, to to make the record, mix it together, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know that's why you know us being the kind of people who soaked into in, in 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 the genre of various streaks of punk and hardcore for so long we had a lot of shared references and yeah and uh you know shared references of music and we sculpted it you know while have while talking about all these references it was like a in a lot of ways it was a kind of like a party you know uh-huh Wow. And do you do you write typically with the entire band or was it just you and him working? Well, I write by myself. Okay. Um it's just somehow since I was 14 being the way, you mm-hmm. know, it's like I would write a song. Well, in my early days, of course, I you know, when we were just figuring out how to plug in guitar, you know. You know, whoever plugged in the guitar first, <laughs> that was the leader of the band. <laughs> right. That's the guy who wrote the first sound <laughs> of the band. You know. But uh, as the time went on, it seemed it seemed like I was bringing most of the material and it just stayed, stayed that, that way. way. It seemed yeah. like people were behind that idea and nobody was questioning uh my deal my 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 ability to uh you know crunch it out and put these Rubik's cubes together, like, mm-hmm. you know, bring a song that's three minutes long with most of it already kind of there. Uh, the magic of the band is 
we and the band is, is in, the, in the arrangement and co-writing all the farther parts, you know, and uh, doing that. That's where, like, joy of being in a band is really at. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I think that that's kind of where Gogo Bordello is really excels is kind of taking taking those songs and getting them to a next level or sometimes transforming them that's what keeps it absolutely uh fun for me you know and sometimes it can be unpredictable you know the song that i thought is going to be this speed anthem you know uh becomes a, a ballad you know <laughs> and vice versa not always but that yeah. does happen mm-hmm. and uh, and it's also you know Gogo Bordello is kind of a bunch of maniacs you know these people like everybody in the band has energy that exceeds average amount of energy that humans <laughs> have so everything is kind of turbo hyper focused uh, not always but for the most part when it's on it's on things come together quite quickly so when you're listening to the record the takes that we did of every song it's not like that's like you're listening to uh a 20th take of the song like no wow you're listening to the third fourth maybe sometime sixth take of the song since the time that the band played the song first time oh my gosh wow yeah i mean because you guys are are such a talented band as i said earlier i mean it the songs are so technical um but the there's obviously the storyline behind it and and your vocal and everything but when it gets into the like the the instrumental parts it's just like yeah there's energy even there you know what i mean (laughs) like like you said everyone's got a little bit more energy than normal (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty thorough. I mean, I mean, the instrumentalists in the band are, uh, you know, Sergey and um, and Corey and Boris. You know, Yuri, who is no longer in the band, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately had to get off the road uh, quite a few years back. Our accordion player. I mean, those guys are virtuosos. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that literally, like they have classical training. So that's what allowed the band to really be a singular and standalone and even go on on this uh, uh, ambitious tangent of creating some new kind of punk rock when it's practically impossible. <laughs> like, making something in music original is is almost impossible mm-hmm. it was impossible decades ago already I realize how many people already gave that a shot <laughs> and by giving it a shot the body of worldwide music is immense and the more there is music the more derivative music is of one and of one another mm-hmm. so coming up with anything that's remotely original is becoming less and less possible and uh, the thing that allowed us to do that was the juxtaposition of 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 
musicians that were kind of street cats like me, you know, and Pedro and and, and Elliot, our uh, first drummer, you know, I mean, who were just self-taught musicians. I mean, musician. I mean, I went to musical school, but it was like this. I didn't get anything there. Like nothing I use there. I use in my music writing. Like, oh, interesting. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. that, that didn't give me anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, um, but by merging these two worlds and having, you know, Sergey and Yuri are such a class uh, act together, especially, you know, that kind of like a gave like a spirit of that. We're a punk band on stage and we have an orchestra pit with us. Sure. <laughs> for us, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, as a high energy people, they really got in into this, uh, into the swing of Gogol Bordello and off we went. And that's the kind of, when it came to describe what is it exactly we do, you know, gypsy punk kind of was naturally occurred in my head uh, because uh, um, gypsy music required virtuosity to play. Like gypsy music of Romania and, and Ukraine and Poland and Hungary, you know, there's a long tradition of violin playing. There's big ties with classical music. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the gypsy punk, even though most of the people just don't even think about it that way, what that means. But it also means that it was like, what's the most two obvious legs that we are, what the monster is stumping on? It's, uh, it's punk rock and gypsy music with its ties to classical. Mm-hmm. And that was our kind of ambitious, um, you know, contribution to to world of music. Kind of like let's make this new kind of simple punk or something like that. You know. Yeah, I mean, you guys. Yeah, you. The sound that you have created uh, is so unique and doesn't sound like like any anyone else. I mean, like you said, there's. It's so rare to have to be able to kind of create a a sound that's so unique uh versus what everything else that's already been done or is already out there yes yes it's 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 pretty uh yeah i mean yeah it's it's, it's, I, a, I, it's a workout to make a point <laughs> i would bet uh, the thing is that not everything needs to be new it just needs to be a new angled new angle and things or a new combination of pre-existing things almost everything is Right. You know, honestly speaking, it's a, it's a very well-known world, uh, you know. Everybody in, a, in the art world knows the mechanism, you know, that originality comes really from smashing some pre-existing atoms together in a particular angle and that's the, that's the new creation. Mm-hmm. Um but uh even to get an ang- new angle becomes uh, more uh challenging because uh, because things are becoming more and more uniformic, you know, it's not mm-hmm. a myth. Like uh, things are just quite uniformic everywhere you go. I mean, you go to, you know, you go to some remote country and uh, you drink the same drink and, and you, you, everybody's wearing the same clothes as you get here on canal street in New York city. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? 
And that triggers off very similar uh, cultural, um, cultural kind of regurgitation. Mm-hmm. So to, to get to, to a point of being able to conjure up something originally, you have to be really in touch with the, 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 the deeper culture of the region, you know, which not a lot of people go for. Mm-hmm. You know, if they do, they will come up with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so, it's really interesting to you when you, when you put that out there, I was like trying to think like, yeah, like literally there's the sound that you guys have created is just so unique to, to anything. I mean, um, and and that's why people love your band and I love your band and, and you got, you all are so talented. Um, it's interesting like that when you said that you wrote the record on electric guitar, now I'm going to have to go back and listen to it with those ears. Because I would, I would just imagine it was still on acoustic. One of my favorite songs on the record is Blueprint, and it starts off that way. I've, like, it's got the slower. Is it a clean guitar or is it acoustic? I can't remember off the top no, of my head. No, it's acoustic. I mean, I still play a lot. Yeah. And that's also, it's also a cover of Fugazi. Oh, is it? Oh, my gosh. I'm, yeah, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yes, it is definitely one of my favorite songs on the album as well. Uh, Fugazi being probably my top favorite band of all times oh amazing okay it was actually recorded with in dc and in inner ear studio where that particular track where all fugazi records were recorded really that's amazing wow that must have been a great experience yeah we we brought the track onto the record and um because it was just fitting It, it we had it on our um it was on hold for a couple of years after we did the whole session there in DC of recording some material there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this really was, I understood it, why it was held back from Seekers and Finders record, because this is the record it should have been on. Oh, okay. So you've had, you've had it, you had it done for a while then. Cause that, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that track, that track was recorded several years ago. Okay. And, um, immediately followed by on the solidarity record with a track that features another legend of all legends from dc well originally from england but it's hr of bad brands oh yeah yeah yeah. oh that's a great song too yeah um yeah so there's a lot of as i said you know walter and i were having a lot of fun creating the record and you know, just like, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to have HR on this song? It seems like there is. A, it seems like there is already a spot for it. And you know, through through mutual friend, uh, uh, through uh, Jesse Mallon, great songwriter from New York City, also one of the central people here in the punk hardcore scene and songwriter scene. You know, he connected us with with HR, and that came together beautifully you know we were pretty much an oh yeah yeah we're pretty much you know things were aligning to create a proper uh record that had all the vitamins of everything we love about songwriting gypsy punk rock Mm -hmm. hardcore punk you know new sounds that are you know new combinations of sounds it's you know so there's there's more cameos i mean features on that album yeah another one i love is take only what you can carry that's yeah. the, probably my second favorite song on the record yeah cool uh thanks uh, that that's was 
direct response to what was happening started to happen in Ukraine, uh, which is everybody knows uh-huh. the war. And uh, that was a song. There's two songs that are heavily on that topic that were for addressing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, take only what you can carry is the only time when I took poetry of somebody else, which is a friend of mine from Ukraine, a great poet and uh, novelist and a huge activist, Serhi Zhadan. He's also a punk rocker. He has his band and he's, he's coming to the States soon, actually, with a small tour. Oh, cool. Uh, hopefully bigger. I think it's going to transform into a much bigger tour because the guy is absolutely uh, unbelievable. Besides being an amazing writer like Albert Camus, kind of spirit uh, writer of resistance and absolute wordsmith from God, who was nominated for Nobel Prize uh, several years ago. You know, yeah, we connected when the war started and, uh, you know, it was really important to strike and make things that are, can really provide morale that's high. Eugene, I appreciate your time, man, today. Thank you so much for for doing this. This has been amazing. Um, I I have one more question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Um, well, I think that probably, you know, probably that perseverance is going to remain to be a key factor, even though, even though the picture has been painted that it's all about It's all about getting more followers and it's all about manicure and it's all about social media. Those are all tools of the day. Of course they are, but make sure that you're getting real followers. Any manicured followers are not your real followers. They will not translate to anything. Um, In order to to, to in order to really do it, it you need to come up with quality things first and quality in its most authentic sense. It needs to be uplifting for the people, you know, and uh, and uplifting in a sense that it doesn't need to be in a major key because Google Bordell is most of it is in, in minor key actually. Um, and, uh, you know, Nick Cave is on a superficial point of view is, a uh, you know, oftentimes described as a, you know, the music that, 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 you know, that from the depressive side of, side of the things, melancholic and this, but I find it incredibly uplifting actually, because it's about confronting, uh, the, the, the darker side of life. It's about perseverance. And um, that quality is something that uh, probably is going to be number one quality in anybody's career, whatever 
is it that you're doing? If you're like, uh, you know, if you're a gardener or raising the bees or, you know, or writing songs or whatever is that you're doing, that's going to be your main friend right there. It's this, it's all both back down to discipline, you know, because perseverance is, you know, 50% of it is, is discipline. So it's like that, you know, that's, that's kind of how I see it. And that's, those are inspirations that I took from people earlier on. They kind of all displayed those qualities, you know. <laughs>